What is up, everybody? I am your host, Matthew Vegas Sands, for another episode of AI Pioneers Insurance Edition. And I am joined by a our very own Jason Killings, who also happens to be from South Florida and Barboa Insurance Agency. Am I, am I butchering it? Uh, it's pretty close. It's Barboa. Yeah, it's Cuban. Barboa. So Barboa. Yep. So I know everybody here that's, uh, that's listening, they're here hear Jason talk about AI and his experience as an agency sure. owner. But before we even get into AI, I want Jason to share his story because he has a super unique story. He used to actually fly planes and then he went from flying planes into getting into the world of insurance. And so Jason would love if you can give the listeners a little bit of background as to how you made that crazy transition. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think most people wake up uh, in high school and go, I want to be an insurance agent when I grow up. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, long story short, I went to college, uh, got my degree in commercial aviation. I flight instructed for a bit uh, at a college up in New Hampshire. And then there was no kids there, for the, no students for the summer. So I moved down to Miami and started teaching people how to fly. And one of my students is uh, Mr. Borboya, actually, Ignacio. He, uh, he had a plane and didn't have his license. So I taught him how to fly. We got to know each other in a small cockpit, right? And uh, he offered me a job in his insurance office, and that was in 2006. So it's been a long journey. I stopped flying, started running this office in 2010, and I just bought him out January 1st. So, oh, wow. yeah, crazy, crazy ride. Thank you. Congratulations. And it's uh, it's a captive with Allstate, or have you guys finally gone independent? Yeah, so we're still a captive with Allstate. We've got a pretty big book, so it's hard to kind of walk away. Uh, and I know kind of the all-state rules of the game, so I just got to stick with that for now. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, we do well every year, so we're going to keep it going. That's amazing. What type of insurance did you get into when, when you first started? So primarily home and auto. That was like the basis of what I started with. Uh, then over time, you know, I started expanding into umbrella, some nice commercial accounts, commercial auto, general liability and workers comp uh, and, and life insurance. We write a lot of life insurance now with a couple couple cool companies. So, And how was it? What was the distribution channels that you guys saw work for you? Because you guys have grown to be a pretty big group and um I have to imagine that it wasn't all from just one traction channel. Typically, when I've seen when I've seen agencies of your size, you guys utilize not just referrals, but maybe some. You guys get creative in your distribution. And what was it that, that allowed you guys to get so big? So Ignacio, in his defense, that he ran, he hit the street hard. Uh, he opened up in 1989, and from then up until 2006, he primarily did old school methods of marketing, right? So he worked out, he worked a lot of deals with real estate agents, mortgage brokers, and car dealers. Uh, that was kind of the crux of how he built the business. And then when I came in in 2006, we started uh, really focusing on the internet. So we started buying uh, our own domains, building our own landing pages. Uh, and then we just kind of iterated from there ever since. Uh, mail outs, mail outs is another distribution method that, you know, if you know the the unit economics of your business, uh, it can still be pretty profitable. So what we do now, since we've been around since 89, is we still have those old school kind of organic networking and relationships. And then we really hit hard on internet leads, online presence, and uh, and then direct direct mail. Do you guys, um, what are you gonna say? You guys, do you, do you still have people coming to the office or everything's online now? We have a big, beautiful office right across the street from a Mercedes-Benz dealership. Like, this would be a prize real estate portfolio for anyone. 
And unfortunately, no one comes in. Like we're we're lucky if we see maybe one or two people a month. Ninety nine percent of what we do is over the phone and and via email. It's insane. Yeah, we've heard. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people are using text message now too. Like even even for doing outbound to customers, they just like they've realized. I heard one agent the other day. They were telling me if they have their if they have their SDRs do a hundred calls, they're lucky if they yeah. get ten responses just phone calls if they have their sdrs do text messages they get probably 30 35 percent hit rate and one of the interesting things that i saw is it sounds really inefficient but when they broke down the numbers it actually made a lot of sense they will actually buy cheap iphones and they will mm-hmm. send text messages because they've realized that the response rate is infinitely higher when the person on the other side sees the blue bubble, blue first degree, like it's not just a Twilio text or something like that. Yep. Yeah, I haven't uh, gotten to that level yet, where where you know we're all the way up to buying iPhones, but we do a lot of text messaging. So on our landing pages, people are opting in uh, right from the jump. So we already have consent. Uh, then while we do a quote, even if it's a call in or an organic lead, while we're on the phone with them, we go, hey, we're going to send you a text message so you can opt in. We're going to send you the quotes via text. So our response rates are a lot higher. People communicate with us when it's convenient for them, right? Not everyone wants to talk on the phone all the time. But the biggest thing is there's a sales cycle, right? From the time that you market to the time they receive the marketing, to the time that they call you, then the quote, ideally we all want one call closes and then the bind. But with the text messaging, it compresses all that, right? So it shortens your turnaround time. Uh, so that you can just find more faster. So, yeah, definitely works. How has uh, what was the transition like going from just being a producer to all of a sudden being an executive within the agency and now even being the agency owner? So it was. I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial mindset. Like I even built my own sales CRM system because I kind of got frustrated with which, with what was out there in the market. So that transition for me kind of happened naturally. The the harder part was the salesman in me, right? Like I still want to bind every policy. I still get like excited chasing a deal. Um, and then to kind of take that excitement and share it with my producers and like hand it off to them. That took me probably about two years to come to terms with that. They're like that's not your core duty anymore. Um, and then the other thing that was a big transition is every client wanted to talk to me, right? So, you know, I, I was a producer for four or five years. You know, I developed pretty strong relationships with these people. So they're like, I want Jason. And it could be something as simple as like taking a payment. So my staff's done a really good job. Like kind of listen, if it's something small, he's the boss, he's in meetings all day, but, but I can take this car change for you or I can take a payment for you. Um, but yeah, that was probably the hardest part. Cause I had to like retrain myself and retrain my, uh, my clients. Yeah. One of the other things that I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about on this, uh, the listeners would, would hear is. You just launched. So, you, so for those listening, Jason just bought the agency January 1st of this year. What he kind of just alluded to as well is he just built his own CRM. And so now he has a traditional agency business that he owns and he operates, but he also has a new company that he's also in the process of building and launching. Those are two full-time jobs. How is, yeah. it, that you're, how is it that you're managing to be able to do both of those? Do you essentially parse it out throughout the week. So like Monday through Wednesday, you're going to focus on the insurance and on the rest of the days, you're going to focus on the CRM or do you do mornings for one afternoons? How do you manage everything? 
So typically mornings, like before I even get to the office, I'm just kind of skimming through my insurance agency email, just delegating. We built out a lot of automation. So that kind of took a lot of the uh, workload off my plate. And then I'm just kind of overseeing some KPIs, right? Our cost per acquisition, lifetime value. What are my producers doing? So I'm kind of taking more like the 10,000 foot view of the agency and trying not to be as like in the weeds as I used to be. And then Lead Vault, you know, it's really about working out strategic partnerships, incorporating AI into it so that as we launch, people have something that's going to assist their licensed, you know, human agents, but also have an AI component in there as well. So then I spend the rest of the time, you know, working out strategic relationships, integrating into our systems and, uh, and marketing Lead Vault. So. That's amazing. And, and yeah. what ultimately, and so can you, for the listeners, can you tell them what exactly Lead Vault is? I know you mentioned it's a CRM, but what ultimately inspired you to launch it? And then what's different about that versus most CRMs? Yeah, so I had been using a couple other uh, uh, kind of lead management CRMs that were in the marketplace, and they were so cumbersome, right? Like you could customize a million different features. And I'm like, I'm an insurance agent. I know my core business. I just needed to make localized dials, send out SMS, uh, you know, prioritize based on lead status and distribute to, to the sales team. Give me reports with regards to, you know, what we're closing so I can buy more of the clients that were, that were writing, right? And I just didn't see a lot of that in the market. And rather than go back to the vendors I was working with saying, can you add this feature? Can you remove this feature? Or can you show me how to add buy a phone number again? Um, I just got so frustrated. <laughs> I, started, I took the path of most resistance and built one from scratch. Yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing. And then what would you say? What, ha what have you had more fun in? Being the insurance agency owner or being the startup founder? You know what? I felt like I was kind of the master of my domain and the insurance side. And uh, starting a software company as a non-technical founder was a very humbling experience. <laughs> you know, talking to engineers and, you know, uh, graphic designers and front end, back end, you know, learning these languages so I could talk to my, my design team. Uh, that was exciting again and humbling. It almost reminded me of learning how to fly. Yeah. So it was, it's been interesting. One of the other questions I had for you is you've now been in the industry 17 years. You've had a lot of exposure as to what agencies have done well in order to survive and ultimately become super successful agencies. And I'm sure you've had your fair share of agencies that you've seen that haven't made it through. They might have made a series of errors. From your experience, what was it that separated those agencies that did do really well versus those that, that cratered off? The biggest thing that I've noticed is, is it, and it goes for most organizations, is people, right? So you can have the best foresight and you can have a really strong, robust business plan, but you have to have people there to execute, right? So, so what that means is team culture, accountability, training. Training has to happen all the time. It's not something that you do once a month or every six months. You have to continuously have your team uh, learning and iterating and getting better. Um, that's been the probably the biggest takeaway that I've had. And the second one is you have to be a marketing machine. You have to get your name out there. You have to let people know that you exist um, because business isn't just going to fall on your lap. Yeah. Yeah. Now kind of switching gears a little bit, you've had the mark, you had the opportunity to ride a couple of insurance markets, a couple of hard markets, soft markets. We're in a bit of a hard one right now, but you also had the opportunity to ride a couple of technology trends and markets too. A few years ago it was crypto, 
then blockchain, mm-hmm. now it's AI next year, God knows what it's going to be. How do you as a business leader evaluate what seems to be an annual technology trend that, that brings societal pressure, brings sometimes false hype? How do you evaluate if it's actually legitimate or not? Uh, just stepping back. And if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, it's probably, uh, not going to work. Uh, that's probably the first, the first big takeaway that I have. And then the other thing is setting aside some money to try it out, right? Like there's really like no other way. So, you know, there's this huge uh, wave towards AI right now. And we see the generator AI can build, can produce some pretty good copy, right? Like some pretty good content. Now the question is, is it going to resonate with the consumer, right? What's the best use case? Is it for new business? Is it for renewals, right? Is it for cross-selling? And those are all the questions that we still don't have an answer for. So the the best thing to do is just try it out. And then you can't just try it out without having data, right? Like actually having a place that you can reconcile what's going on and then work the math back and see if it makes sense, right? Because if it costs you say sixty-five or $70,000 to run an AI program, but you can get a human person for 45, right? And they're not as limited. Well, then maybe the use case isn't there yet. Um, but if you can have some AI that can handle four or five calls at a time, and even if it performs 50% as well, you're going to have a lot more phone calls, yeah. <laughs> right? So you, so you get to this critical mass. So that's really where I think they kind of hold on one second. I'm sorry. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. My my IT guys here, but that's really where like having some core information and just testing systems is is where it makes a big difference. Yeah. And the way you, the way you think about the cost analysis and people are listening to this and say like, Matthew sounds like a broken record to say it all the time, but. I really, I really would urge everybody that's listening out there to really pay attention to what the actual cost is or whatever technology you're implementing. It, the actual cost is not just what comes out on the contract. If you're paying, let's say, like I've seen tools out there, let's say it's $1,000 a month. That $1,000 a month is not the true cost of what that technology is. The true cost is how much time is it going to take to train your employees? How long is it going to take to actually integrate? Is there going to be an implementation fee? Is it going to impact my customer experience and have some sort of negative impact. And so mm-hmm. we've made that mistake in our business all the time. It's like, oh, they're giving us a great deal. Then all of a sudden we realize, then we're two months into doing the implementation. We're like, wait, this is way more expensive than we thought. If we had gone with the other product that actually seemed a little bit more expensive on paper, we would have actually saved money. And so to everybody listening out there, like make sure you really do your cost analysis as to whenever you're not just evaluating technologies, but just evaluating any tools or vendors you're going to work with. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's, that's spot on. You know, if you have a, a company that has, you know, like an out of the box solution and you're not going to have four weeks of development and ramp up time, well, there's a value to your time, right? Time's money. Uh, I've done that in the past where I kind of looked at some AI scoring for, for calls, live calls, right? Where it would actually like spit out the, the recordings then it would come back and say, hey, this person scored an 89 or a 90 or a 95. But it was so cumbersome and it kept breaking. I spent so much time trying to fix the thing that was going to help me, uh, you know, score my sales producers that it w- I could have just listened to each call individually, <laughs> you know, just listen to it on the way home, just spot check a couple. So, yeah, the, the price on paper sounds right, but it just it didn't pan out. 
what are some of the ways that you guys are using AI, whether it be at your agency or at Lead Vaults? I know you kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. Yeah, so they're kind of one and the same. You know, I built Lead Vault so I get to use it in the office. But some of the things that like we're doing some AI with now is like our surplus lines renewals, right? So we have some really small policies that are, you know, maybe three or $400 and you can't spend a lot of time renewing those, right? Like you can't pay somebody when you're writing a $40 policy, but you know, they're valuable lines of insurance, like excess liabilities or we're in the Florida market. So we have a state run carrier that only offers a hundred thousand. So we're using AI where as those renewals come into our in, our inbox, it uh, searches for the name and the policy number, goes into our agency management system, gets their email and phone number and sends them out the renewal automatically. Mm. So now my people don't touch it. Yeah. So like that's one example of like generative AI where we can, we can tell it, hey, look here. If this, you know, there's a series of yes, no questions, then send this out. And then it follows up too if the renewal is not signed. So yeah. One other question that I was curious with you, because you guys have, I think you guys have done an incredible job in terms of modernizing and your, your business and ultimately approaching your business with like a, an, an innovative mindset and insurance doesn't have people in insurance haven't historically had that reputation and you guys have broken the status quo. One of the things that I keep hearing, so it's like, it's funny, there's three different groups of people and this whole AI thing. You have a group of people that are just like, heck yes, when can I start using it? You have a second group of people that think it's cool, but they're a little bit more cautious. They're cautiously optimistic is the best way to put it. And you have a third group of people that are just like, this thing's out to kill me. It's going my job. I want nothing to do with it. The doomsday preppers. Yeah, yeah, the doomsday preppers. What's your, when you hear those doomsday preppers, what are the thoughts that come into your mind? What's your perspective on that? Um. So, and I've, I've thought about this a lot, right? Like, can AI be an existential threat to humanity? Yeah. But so was the nuclear bomb, right? Like, there's always, there's always things that, like, could totally change our economy and the way that we do things. Um, I think that as entrepreneurs and business owners, you have to ask yourself, save the, I would say, save the bigger political questions to the politicians. As entrepreneurs, we have to ask ourselves, is this a tool that can make our lives easier, that can make our customers' lives easier and take the employees that we have and have them work more efficiently? Like that is kind of where I think all three of those, the answer is yes with AI. So, you know, I think that as a person whose responsibility is to like, you know, be fiscally responsible and to make sure I have a thriving, growing business, I think you have to at least start considering AI in, in your, in your business. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think to your point in order to just like, in terms of fiscal responsibility, I think you almost have a fiscal responsibility to, to use, whether it be this technology, whatever technology it does, because right now think about it, insurance has become so expensive and so has servicing your customers. I think I saw a study the other day from like Ibis world, labor costs for insurance frontline employees is at an all-time high and yeah. it's causing a lot of problems for agencies around the country. And so if you ultimately want to increase your bottom line and increase the likelihood that you're going to be around a year or two or five years from now, implementing this technology almost becomes like, it's almost fiscally irresponsible not to implement it. Exactly. Now you are able to tour your agents with, Hey, if they could only 
do 10 or 15 new policies on a, on a weekly basis. Well, now with this technology, they might be able to increase their input by another 10 or 15. And that might, that you add all those things up and it makes a, it makes a pretty big deal in your bottom line as things compound. And one yeah. of the other things that I always say too, is I think to, to your customers, to a certain extent, there's almost a moral obligation again, whether it's this technology or another to start to implement it because right now with how hard the insurance markets are, service is ultimately more important than ever a lot of people especially yep. with in the indie markets you're, you're almost selling the same product oftentimes what you're going to separate yourself with is your service and so if you can use technologies whether it be gale whether it be lead vault whether it be chat gpt whatever to automate a lot of those mundane repeated repetitive tasks you ultimately make yourself more available to service your customers. And so if they do call you in that moment of crisis because they got an accident or whatever, you don't have to worry about, oh, I might not pick up because I'm answering an email. You, you can almost guarantee you're going to be available for them for those times of stress. Yep, 100%. And, you know, a lot of agents are afraid of hard markets because maybe it's harder for them to capture new policies. But agents have to stop and realize that hard markets are also great they're also pay raises for the agents that are around, right? Like, yeah, you've got to do a little more service to keep the, to keep them in your agency, but uh, there's not a lot of, there's not other places to go, right? Like they're going to shop, but on a hard market, prices are, are rising. So you can keep a lot of people. So one of the things that like another example of where like generative AI can be, would be like a comparative rater, right? So right now, most agents have comparative raters, but their staff starts to input the information. Well, that's something that AI can do. And now prior to your renewal or your client's renewal, you can go, hey, you know, homeowners policies have gone up. Uh, we've already taken the liberty of requoting your policy that's coming that's coming due in 30 days. And here is everything else that's out there. Like, so now you've created a tremendous amount of value to your customer or your client because it's a relationship business for one. Two, you didn't deploy a ton of manpower for something that's not going to increase your revenue, right? But the customer is happy because you shopped for them. And now what's the third thing? If you send them five or six different proposals, now they're less likely to call the agency down the block to get number seven, right? But if you just send them their renewal, well, I, I need a second opinion, right? The doctor said this, I want to talk to another doctor. Yeah. But if you have five doctors, a panel that says, hey, the, the five of us have come together. This is everything we've got. You're less likely to go see a sixth, right? Absolutely. And I think to your point where hard markets are great opportunities, I think they really are. Because again, so many people are selling the same product that the the way you separate yourself now is people remember how you made them feel. And so if you're one of those agents that's using the hard market as an excuse and you send somebody a quote the day before a renewal and they're kind of forced to sign, they're going to remember that. But if they yep. saw you going out there trying to get them three, four quotes and actually help them, down the line, even if somebody else is able to get them a better price two or three years down the line, they're going to remember that service and they're going to yep. remember how you had their back. And to many people, that level of service is priceless. They might be exactly. willing to pay an additional 10% for that service. And so your point, I think hard markets provide a tremendous opportunity for to really separate yourself as an agent, as a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the agents that I see who are frustrated about hard markets is they're frustrated that they have to do more work to keep their client. And that's where the technology can come in, where you can provide the same amount of service, but not increase your man hours or increase your headcount and really capitalize on that increased revenue that a hard market provides. Yeah, that's that. I, I completely agree. The 
the last question that I have for you is you've been a pilot, business owner, startup founder. There seems that you can do almost whatever you want with your life at this point. You keep diving deeper into the belly of the beast that is insurance. What yeah. is it that has you so excited about where we are as an industry that you decided to just keep going deeper into it? I, I just, I love it. I, I, I love it. And I think that this is still a tremendous opportunity. You know, there's some, when I was at Techstars for the software company, some of the mentors are like, Hey, you know, I see some of these competitors that are going a lot, uh, you know, direct where do you see yourself, do you see agents being around in five or 10 years as you build this startup? And the answer is yes. Right. Because agents create a tremendous amount of value. If you compare us to a lot of the direct riders, our loss ratios are lower. We bundle higher. The retention's higher. So there's still a strong demand for insurance agents. The, the question that we as a community have to ask ourselves is how do we get more efficient and how do we harness the technology that's out there? Because maybe it's not niche in insurance industry specific, but there's a lot of ancillary products that are out there that we could apply to our business. So that, that's what kind of keeps it from getting monotonous for me is like, hey, we could add this. We could do this. Why don't we text message the quotes? Why don't we have generative AI send out the, the renewal proposals? Like there's so much cool and exciting stuff that's out there from a technological standpoint that it's really fun to like bridge that gap and connect it into insurance. Yeah. For, the, for those people listening, I'll leave you guys with one final thought that gets me super excited about insurance and, and that I tell people all the time it. If you think about insurance, it's the one industry that doesn't depend on another. And so every single industry in the world depends on insurance. If all of a sudden insurance became obsolete tomorrow, auto would be in a state of flux. Homeowners, real estate, state of flux. No. Medicine, state of flux. Even in, even universities and education, try, getting a, try opening up a school without insurance. You can't, or a small business is. Yep. But yep. flip side, insurance, if the... If the auto industry became obsolete tomorrow, insurance would still be massive industry. If real estate became yep. obsolete tomorrow, it'd still be massive industry. And so the really interesting thing about insurance is it's ultimately the product that runs the world. If insurance price premiums increase, schools, groceries, everything is going to become more expensive. And to me, that's what gets me so excited. We're in the industry that ultimately controls the world. And if if you can find a better, if you can find a way to implement technology and drop insurance premiums and all those different things, it sounds cheesy, but you're actually doing a positive for society. And that's what gets me so stoked about where we're at as an industry. And I think the last 10 years, it was this weird tension between insurtechs and incumbents. Insurtechs were saying, mm -hmm. we're going to kill the incumbents. You guys don't know what you're doing. And the incumbents were like, we're going to build technology. You guys don't know what you're doing. Right now it's like we've all learned like, hey, building technology is hard. Building insurance is hard. Why don't we each stay in our lane? And now there's that spirit of collaboration. And that's what gets me super excited is like, hey, we're fine. The, the communities are finally starting to come together. And because insurance has such a massive impact on society and macro conditions, it's great to see. So I think everybody's going to be better off because of it. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, Jason, man, it's, uh, I don't want to take up more of your time. You've taken up enough, and we appreciate it more than you know. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I can't wait for all the listeners to hear everything you have to say. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is fun. Of course, man. And congrats on a great career. I can't wait to see what you guys do next. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, buddy. Yeah.